Welcome back to the Meddling Kids Podcast, your groovy review of Scooby-Doo. I'm Julie Kin, your best friend. Today we're talking about the Diabolical Disc Demon, a very groovy rock and roll episode. We start with looking at a city at night, and we're outside of Decade Records. We see a creepy clown rocker. I'm not sure if this is what a juggalo looks like. And my friend Stephen Pappas of Is This Adulting has warned me not to upset our juggalo fans if there are any of you out there, but I'm going to risk it. The juggalo is chasing some groovy 70s dude named Tony Signs. And if you've been watching Wild Wild Country on Netflix, Tony looks like one of the crew. Apparently, Tony knows too much, according to our juggalo. He hides in an office and quickly scribbles down some musical notes while the juggalo continues to taunt him. As he finishes, the juggalo enters the room and laughs maniacally as Tony screams in horror. I gotta admit, this scene is pretty bone-chilling. Fortunately, the scene changes and we see our kids in the mystery machine listening to their friend Jimmy's music while Scooby dances in the back of the van. They're going to Decade Records to hear Jimmy record his newest album. But upon arrival at the studio, they meet a really mean security guard named Joe. And Joe's going to pretty much make their lives hard for the rest of this episode. Foreshadowing. Who are you? What do you want? Jimmy lets the gang in by coming up to Joe and letting him know that they're friends of his. Jimmy looks and sounds like Greg from the Brady Bunch, if that helps you picture him. Jimmy seems upset and tells the gang that one of his songwriters, Tony Signs, has disappeared and left behind a strange piece of music that Jimmy tells the gang he will be recording tonight. It's not the best, he explains. But Daphne is putting it on a little thick and says, Oh, anything you sing will be great, Jimmy. Jimmy introduces the gang to his pianist and arranger, Ian Birkin, and they meet Ace Decade, the studio owner's nephew, and a recording engineer, Brick Tyler. Now, don't worry about memorizing all these names, because, frankly, all these white guys looked exactly alike to me, and I couldn't keep them straight for the rest of the episode. But I do like that there's lots of potential bad guys. These slick cats, plus the doorman, are all about the right height to be the juggalo. Scooby sniffs around the recording equipment, and hey, maybe he should start a new podcast. Unfortunately, he gets caught in the reel-to-reel tape player, and then he spins around on a turntable until he's twisted like taffy. Ian, meanwhile, begins to play the song written by Tony before he disappeared, and suddenly the recording equipment begins to spark and short-circuit. The crew tells the gang about a phantom that's been haunting the studio, much to Scooby and Shaggy's chagrin. Jimmy is really blasé while describing the Phantom. Oh, you know, he's just a ghost seeking vengeance for those who ruined his career and possibly caused his death. You know. Jimmy then takes Fred, Daphne, and Velma on a tour of the studio, and Shaggy and Scooby stay behind to demonstrate their musical genius. Shaggy dusts off the chair by the piano and asks Scooby what he wants to hear. He's about to play a waltz when the juggalo hops down into the room with a ha-ha-ha. Chase scene! Scooby and Shaggy hide in the piano, and it sounds really uncomfortable in there. They run around the studio with the piano on their heads. The juggalo takes the piece of music that Tony Sines had written before he went missing. Meanwhile, Jimmy's bragging to Daphne and company about the 10 stacks of records that are about to be shipped out to his fans all over the world. But Velma is such a rooster block. She says there's only six stacks. Shaggy and Scooby run in with the piano on their heads still and tell everyone what happened. Fortunately, Jimmy has another copy of the music in his dressing room. I think you can guess what happens in the dressing room. More chasing! 
Actually, the Phantom doesn't really chase much. He just kind of stands there waving his arms back and forth like he's doing that new dance, the flosser. And he just talks with his menacingly low voice. Give me the music. Dude needs a lozenge. He calls Scooby a mutt, and then Scooby runs away with the music. Then there's legit chasing around the desk, except that Juggalo doesn't realize that Scooby and Shaggy stopped running and are just playing cards on the desk while the Juggalo runs around them. He's pretty furious when he stops running, but his eyeliner is still on fleek. Scooby and Shaggy manage to escape with the music by hiding in a trench coat. It's adorable because Scooby is the head and Shaggy is the legs. Has anyone ever tried to do this in real life? Listeners, please write in. I mean, not with a Great Dane, but just multiple people in a big trench coat. Next time we have a Meddling Kids podcast meetup or a live show, we have to try this out. And I say next time as though we've done that already. We never have. But I think this podcast format would work live. Everyone could bring dogs. Anyway, Scooby and Shaggy meet up with the rest of the gang and Jimmy and tell them about the Phantom. Velma posits that the music is the key and that there are some strange things going on here. Suddenly, the Juggalo Phantom comes over the intercom and threatens to get the gang one by one. You'll never get away from me. The gang decides to split up, of course, and go search the offices for the Phantom because they figure he's somewhere in the building if he's using the intercom system. Velma, Fred, and Daphne find the source of the voice in Ace Decade's office. It was only a tape recording. Therefore, we don't know for sure that the Phantom Juggalo was really there. Ace Decade tells the gang he has no idea how the Phantom got in there because no one else has a key but him. Scooby and Shaggy go to the cafeteria to look for clues and for something to eat. There's a really cool modern milkshake vending machine, but it looks kind of poorly made. When Shaggy puts in money, it starts spinning all around and sparking. But then a delicious shake comes out, complete with a little cherry. It looks like the mint shake McDonald's makes every year at St. Paddy's Day. And now I'm craving ice cream. Anyway, Shaggy's checking out the back of the machine. It doesn't see that the milkshake has come out. So Scooby gets the whole thing to himself. Shaggy puts in more money to try again. He still doesn't realize that it worked. And the same thing happens. Lucky Scooby. Scooby gets Shaggy to try one last time, but this one lands on Scooby's head. But he ain't mad. He eats it anyway. Shaggy is thrilled to find more vending machines, but Scooby keeps getting all the snacks without Shaggy noticing. All of a sudden, they hear crashing noises coming from a locked closet. They open it, and inside they see lots of boxes and a figure kind of growling. They lock it back in, assuming it's the Phantom Juggalo. And then they find Joe, the mean security guard, that he thinks they're up to no good and literally throws them into the alley trash cans. Total DJ Jazzy Jeff style. The other kids in the band are all conferring. They seem devastated that the recording session is canceled and not at all creeped out by the evening events. Now that's work ethic. Or cocaine. I think I went to high school with someone named Jimmy Lewis, by the way. Scooby and Shaggy are still in the alley, and Shaggy bribes Scooby with four Scooby snacks to climb in through a window. I think that's the first time Shaggy has played that card. Usually it's the other kids doing the bribery. Anyway, Shaggy tries to do the old heave-ho up onto the window, but this is not successful. Instead, Scooby misses the window, swivels around on a pole, bounces off a canopy, slides down a wall, and lands back on Shaggy. Then they try to get in by having Shaggy stand on top of Scooby on top of a trash can. They must have needed some time filler for this episode because this lasts like two minutes and seems like ten. They don't get in, but they do knock over the trash can and hundreds of Jimmy Lewis records come spilling out. And that, dear meddling kids, is what we call a clue. 
Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, from travellers to musicians, to those afflicted with mental or physical illnesses. There's really no subject that's off-limits, from movies to politics, and even controversial topics ranging from sex to drug reform and political correctness. So if you still believe in the art of conversation, are intrigued by healthy debates with different ideas and perspectives you may not have thought of, and want a podcast where every episode is about something different with a variety of guests, then this may be the podcast for you. You can hear us on YouTube and all your favourite podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to hang out and listen to honest conversations with interesting people, then come to Genuine Chit Chat, where I'm your host, Mike Burton. Fred, Daphne, Velma, and Jimmy are trying to think about what could be so special about this song that Tony Symes wrote. Velma tries to give a theory, but they're interrupted by Scooby and Shaggy breaking back in through a vent. They tell everyone about the albums in the trash. While they're talking, the phantom juggalo comes in and grabs the music again. At this point in the episode, all the non-Scooby gang members are all still looking alike to me. Just a group of Greg Brady's. They all even have the same hair color and skin color. I have no clue about who the villain is, but I do know that it would have been easier for the bad guy to sneakily grab the sheet music while in civilian attire instead of that ridiculous clown getup. I mean, awesome clown getup and all, in case any jugglers are listening, but, but a lot of time spent on makeup. Anyway, the day in the music is saved because Scooby uses a lasso from a mic cord to get it back from the juggalo's hands. Shaggy runs and makes it into a paper airplane at the same time. It flies all over and then Scooby catches the paper airplane and he takes flight because of amazing dog physics, I guess. You know how Great Danes are so aerodynamic. The phantom juggalo is chasing him all around and they both land in a pile of recording tapes. Mr. Juggalo, see how respectful I am, is all tied up. The Phantom is unmasked as Ace Decade. He was stealing records from his uncle's studio and selling them for his own profit by hiding them in a trash can. The tape recording in his office was a ploy to make it seem like he was being framed. The biggest clue was the song that Tony Sines had written and left when he disappeared. The notes in the first three bars read Ace Decade. Once Ace heard the song, he realized what Tony did and faked the malfunction to stop the recording session. Velma and Fred act like they knew this all along, but I don't buy it. If they did, why didn't they say anything earlier instead of all that chasing and wasted milkshakes? The Phantom Juggalo was a cover for the operation. Tony Signs is revealed to be the person locked in the storage closet that Shaggy and Scooby had figured was the Phantom. And this is the third time I think they have missed an opportunity to help someone who's been locked up in a closet. Scooby then falls into a soda machine in the cafe and gets raspberry soda all over his head, but once again seems thrilled with this turn of events. It reminds me of a certain rabbi in Olympia, Washington, I know, who every year at Purim gleefully agrees to get a pie thrown in his face. Well, that's it for this week. If the juggalos don't get me, I'll be back next time with a tale from China and the Moon Monster in Scooby's Kooky something Chinese caper. I forget the exact title. Anyway, you can catch up with me on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Meddling Kids Pod and I'm at Julie Kin. Please join our Facebook discussion group. It's called the Meddling Kids Podcast and Scooby-Doo Discussion Group, and it's moderated by one of my besties, Tiff, who is awesome. Thank you so much, Tiff. Thanks to Dave Seste for our theme music, Night Surfing. And thanks to my husband and kids for supporting this very lucrative venture. 
Anyway, next time you are writing music with secret codes embedded, just remember, you would have gotten away with it if it weren't for us meddling kids. Hello, this is Full Starts Podcast. And we talk about those films that set themselves up for a sequel that never came. Here's an episode condensed into 60 seconds. Please to be enjoy. What's our, what's our poisons then? You get what you're given. That's some foul stuff. Does this film confirm the existence of God? Dum 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 dum. There's oh such God. a look of confusion on my face here. Yeah, can, can we do a quick mini review of, of 4DX? <laughs> it was so uncomfortable, I had to go sit on the stairs because it was just more enjoyable. And he looks, he looks at the naked lady in front of him and immediately 150 pressurised egg whites shoots all over him. <laughs> Come on, egg white. But, yeah. what, but what was the point in even, even including it? To calm his nerves. They were probably we just don't placebos. need him to calm his... Why he not did? Have, yes, we he did. did. Why don't have shoot him up in be calm? <laughs> just <laughs> cut the scene. The film is two hours long. <laughs> just cut the scene. No. So this, was, this was a manic time. Yes, this was I think it's a bit this is insanity what happened to us I, I guess we'll wrap things up you can find us wherever you find your podcasts just type full starts pod in mm, full starts pod in <laughs> the best kind of pod in that's pretty much how the shows go we just use that <laughs>